This is Deep Down, and I'm your host, Jordan Hunt. I'm a composer, vocalist, multi-instrumentalist, and self-releasing artist. You might also know me as former violinist in the Irrepressibles, as the long-standing musical companion to Grammy-nominated Olivia Cheney, or as a musical and associate director of the Theo Adams Company. I delve deep as we explore the creative process and life through the lens of a musician, unraveling universal ideas and enigmas through some of my songs and lyrics, and through some of the profound moments that have shaped me. Join me deep down as we embark on this journey together in search of answers to the elusive question, what do you really feel deep down? In this episode, we're diving deep down to ask a universal question. What was I made for? Have you laid awake at night questioning whether you're fulfilling your potential or answering your life's purpose? Is your vocation also your true calling? It would appear that for a professional musician, their career choice often seems like the obvious choice. But in my 20 plus years as a music teacher, I've also met countless adults who gave up music earlier in life, only to come back to it later. To answer the question, I'll be attempting to distill my experience of thousands of hours of composing, teaching, practicing, singing and performing, as well as discussing the Japanese concept of ikigai and sharing some pivotal moments where, with little nudge from the universe and a lot of work and a lot of luck, I've come to call music my life's work. So here we go. I hope you enjoy this episode of Deep Down. Welcome listeners. In this episode, we're delving into a fundamental question that's likely crossed everyone's mind at some point. What was I made for? Which was sparked by the incredible song by Billie Eilish and Phineas of the same title. It was written for the Barbie movie and it seems to be on track to win all of the awards this season. And I remember being utterly captivated by it during the closing credits at the cinema and I stayed till the end of the song to let it sink in and resonate. I was humming it all the way home, and I loved it so much, I decided to do a cover of it. And if you want to know how that turned out, <laughs> you can hear it on my YouTube channel. And if you do listen, please be kind, because it was really an exercise in stretching my range. And it's very hard to sing high and quietly. Billy really has a very special voice. When I was learning it, I thought a lot about the actual question it posed. And I remembered hearing about the Japanese concept of ikigai, which you may already be familiar with, which is this beautiful concept. It's the intersection between passion, mission, vocation, and profession, according to my notes. <laughs> In other words, it's like the Venn diagram of what you're good at, what you love, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. And covering Billy's song was a sort of meta experience, being able to express those lyrics in my own way and appreciating what was so special about her performance and the literal act of singing it felt like I was experimenting or testing the question for myself. What was I made for? Is this what I'm made for, singing? And to be honest, I think until fairly recently, I'm not sure that would have been my first thought. I think I've always had a good ear, just in a pure animal instinctive way. And I say that because apparently dogs can also have perfect pitch. <laughs> I don't actually have perfect pitch, I just have pretty good relative pitch. But my point is that for some reason I always found music as a language quite natural, like learning to talk is usually natural for most people. In fact, one of my earliest memories of my musical education 
Besides the close call where I almost ended up learning to play the trombone, nothing against trombone, maybe more on that another time, was in a violin lesson aged around 10, where my violin teacher at the music centre in Oldham had popped out of my lesson and called in another teacher to watch me because I could harmonise Twinkle Twinkle Little Star by ear without the need for sheet music, which didn't strike me as particularly difficult a song to harmonise, because we'd always sung along to our favourite Motown hits at home quite freely. But I had a distinct feeling from being observed in that way that, ooh, maybe this isn't normal. Like, can everyone not harmonise by ear? It was one of the first times I remember distinctly feeling different about my musical brain. And my students sometimes ask me about my musical brain, especially this almost mystical idea of having a good ear for music. In fact, it's one of the things I find hardest to teach, especially because I find it so natural. And so, like I said, I never really had to learn it the hard way, so to speak, because luckily for me, music is a language. And by now, at this stage, after all these years as a professional musician, I can probably say with some confidence that I speak that language pretty fluently, as most musicians could, I imagine. That's not to say that when I was growing up that I ever envisaged myself working in music, there was definitely no precedent of that ever having happened in my family. And to be honest, I couldn't even envisage how someone might make a living from music, unless you were in Take That or the Spice Girls. <laughs> it was just a nice hobby that I enjoyed being relatively good at, and I certainly wasn't certain back then that this is what I was made for. And what's interesting is that I was definitely not the best player in my class at the violin. There were always better musicians at my school and music centre so objectively, my good ear seemed to be a trifling detail, as I couldn't particularly use that to pass my grade violin exam for me. It was just a useful, constant reminder of how out of tune my playing was. But I do remember in A-level class doing some transcribing exercise, which is where you listen to something and have to write it down. And that really is quite tricky, even for most trained musicians, I think. And my teacher and classmates played a prank where there was this ridiculously difficult excerpt to music, like totally atonal, no key or discernible tune, that my classmates had all been given the answer to in advance, and it was a setup just to test whether I could transcribe it without assistance, and it was noticeably difficult, for sure, and I thought that was quite odd, but I did it correctly without question, really, and they all looked at me just jaws hanging from their mouths, shocked at the way my ear worked, which I honestly couldn't explain to them, which as a teenager obviously really made me feel like one of the lads. You know, so by this point in my adolescence, I'm feeling like a freak of nature with this weird and apparently useless gift tantamount to a party trick. And it probably sounds like a massive humble brag, but at the time I didn't see how this strange element of my hearing might ever be useful. It was a bit like being really good at organising socks. Of course, now Marie Kondo has since shown the world how an aptitude at organising your sock drawer can make you a world-famous gazillionaire. I wonder if that's what she's made for. Anyway, in terms of ikigai, as I mentioned earlier, by then I could probably tick two of the requirements, what I'm good at and what I love, but I could not see how this was what the world needed, or how I might actually be paid for it. <laughs> Clearly my classmates had observed something in me that I'm not sure I fully owned myself. And that element of observation of other people being able to see me before I could see myself also rang true with my family. 
I mean, for example, my aunt could see I was that way inclined <laughs> long before I even knew what being gay was. <laughs> but I'm not saying that being gay is what I was made for. There is actually a more relevant musical observation here. So when I was choosing A-level subjects, my aunt was asking me about my uni choices and what I wanted to study. And I said, I'm going to study optometry and be an optician. And she looked blank-faced at me and said, really? Why? <laughs> and I said, I'd looked through the big book of jobs to get inspiration. And also my friend Andrew said that's what he's doing. <laughs> so I thought, I can do that. All I needed to do was study biology and maths, and I'd have a job at the end of it. And to be honest, the fact that there was this guaranteed job was not to be taken lightly, because without a job at the end of uni, I'd have no chance coming from a working class family with no familial support. But she explained to me that from her perspective, getting a job was not the point of uni at all. Apparently, uni was about life experience and that I'd be wasting my talents if I didn't follow my passion, which I guess was music. And I was shocked as I don't think I'd ever had a pep talk like that back in the late 90s. And thank the universe for her in that moment as that set me on the track to making music as an actual career. So I went back to school in the autumn and changed my A-level choices. And you could say the rest is history, or at least it's been my history until now. Who knows what I'll be doing in a decade. <laughs> but my aunt clearly thought back then, that's what Jordan is made for. I guess what she saw in me was something essential in my character. She knew deep down that I'd be missing a trick if I'd dedicated myself to becoming an optician. And that's not to poo-poo the profession. It's obviously highly respected and incredibly difficult. And I wear glasses, so I would be stumped without my optician. <laughs> it's just possibly not my place of magic. And I suppose that essence of character lies at the core of one's reason for being. A bit like the centre of convergence of all the parts that make up your ikigai. And of course, choosing a career is one thing, but then realising it and sustaining it is a whole other ballgame. And I'm grateful every day that I get to do what I do, even though it's possibly far removed from how I'd imagined. Though I'm not sure what I imagined, age 16. <laughs> and even though after some useful delusion... I managed to sneak my way into music college as a composer. I never dreamed that I would be here some 20 plus years later still making an actual living as a musician. Well, that's not quite right. I did dream, but it didn't look like this because it had never happened before in my family. There was no precedent. I was fumbling around in the dark following my intuition, doing anything musical just to get by, just glad to be able to call myself a musician. Of course, being a musician in 2024 is so multifaceted. And for me, practically speaking, it means many things, not least singing and songwriting and composing, but also playing violin and piano, teaching, workshop leading sometimes, even marking music theory exams, but also spills over into musical directing, associate creative directing with my friend Theo Adams, etc. And I've since learned that apparently you can actually earn money doing all of those things. <laughs> Of course, as a self-releasing artist, it also means you have to be good at marketing, managing yourself, publicity, networking, administration, organising, alongside the obvious writing, performing, recording, etc. And it's highly questionable for an introvert like me whether or not I have the innate skills for any of those other tasks. So often I doubt myself and the many specific aspects of my larger career is this what I was made for? I ask myself, 
deep down, should I have chosen one thing over another? And I realise that to a large extent, I've had to be realistic. After all, one of the aspects of Ikigai is the ability to make money. And I've done what I needed to do in this late capitalist society to survive. And I'm incredibly proud that I'm still in the music game at all. As I mentioned, I certainly didn't come from the most financially solvent background, but I'm very proud of my roots. And if that gives anybody else any sense of hope, I'd be grateful. Because if you're fortunate enough even to be in a position to keep trying, then that's a kind of success in its own right, for sure. I'm reminded of another key moment from the ghost of my many lives past. (laughs) When I left my master's degree at the Royal Academy of Music, where I was studying composition, I was quite honestly fed up with the composing world and on the brink of giving it up due to institutional politics, nepotism, not being in the in crowd, not believing I was any good, having next to no social skills, all the usual culprits. And to be honest, I don't quit anything very easily. I do know that about myself. So this felt serious. And at the time, instead, I wanted to turn to dance. I thought to myself, should I be a dancer now? Is that what I was made for? It might seem like a totally random thought, and I'd forgive you for thinking that. But a cute side note, I was actually a gymnast as a child, and I practiced it for 12 years and got pretty good. I was spotted at a local club age six, taken on by some great coaches, and even won some British titles a few times over in my little league sort of way. But given the 90s UK professional sport landscape, it wasn't ever a realistic career. And the year I finished secondary school, I quit gymnastics as I'd got my place at music college and had had a pretty good run. However, that was a huge decision for me to quit. It was one of the most painful decisions I've ever made. And it was difficult as I came to realise that whatever you choose, you eradicate other choices. Such a bittersweet pill to swallow. Anyway, I loved the idea of dance and still do. I'd obviously watched Billy Elliot and I'd had the Norse and a man's doing ballet chat from my dad. But that's definitely for another podcast or perhaps even a song. And at the time, I'd been seriously considering this big career change just as I'd graduated from six years learning to do something else. And luckily, a sweet lady on the phone at the adult learners courses over in Tower Hamlet said, No offence, I'm sure you're very good already, but it's a bit late to actually start training for a dance career now that you're in your 20s. And obviously she was right and slapped my dreams back to reality, made me come to my senses and realise in quite a positive way that composing is what I'd literally spent the last six years intensively learning. And it's my unique form of expression that only I have. And it feels like such a gift. And I realised in that moment... I felt wholeheartedly, hmm, this is what I'm made for. I can't possibly not do that with my life, making music. I get to use this weird oral tick I have of being able to harmonise things in my head and write them down with ease. This is it. I don't know if you remember the scene in Sister Act 2 where Whoopi Goldberg, a.k.a. Sister Mary Clarence, is talking to Lauren Hill's character and says, if when you wake up, the first thing you think about is singing then you're a singer. (laughs) I never actually had that feeling, (laughs) though I desperately romanticised the idea of it. I'm sure that's not the punchline you were expecting, but in a much more nuanced way, I knew I couldn't not do music in some form and give all that up. Composing was hard, 
making it as a composer in the early days of the internet was even harder, but I had to give it a go at least. I'm not sure at that point if I was ticking all of those points of ikigai, because although I'd realised this is what I love and I consider myself to be good at it, I'm not sure if I could make any money. And I definitely wasn't sure if that's what the world needed from me, as my skills were specific, shall we say. But ever practical, I knew I could possibly make a quick book playing violin, which I could also do semi-competently. So I joined a band, and it was life-changing. And my music education, which till then had been primarily classical, started afresh. The band was called The Irrepressibles, who are still going strong today. I have to say, it felt like I was home. I got to play violin, dance around in fab costumes. I got to make the costumes. <laughs> I literally learned how to live from watching my dear bandmates. And most importantly, I witnessed a true synthesis of music and lyrics, something I hadn't given much thought to before. But was that what I was made for, being in a band? Hmm, almost. Alas, something wasn't right for me in the end. And touring like that certainly wasn't sustainable for my sensitive disposition. I had so much fun playing, singing backing vocals, and even helping Jamie arrange the songs for the ten-piece art pop orchestra. I got so close to figuring out my thing, but I realised that that was never my thing, it was Jamie's, and I had to move on. And after that, I wasn't sure where that would be. When I get into the nitty-gritty and I look at any one aspect of my musical umbrella of sub-careers, perhaps the reason I've had such colourful time so far is because any one area is extremely hard. I look at experts that I respect, and it puts me off. For example, my incredible singer friends put me off singing because I wasn't as good as them, in my view. It took me so long to find my voice, but something niggling kept me going all this time, and then a voice said, you have a unique perspective to share. <laughs> it's such a quiet inner voice, and I wish I'd listened to it sooner, as it's certainly hard as an adult to start training your muscles to sing, and I know that from being a music teacher. For example, when I relearned violin again at 19, I discovered I had an anatomical flaw in my wrist, which means due to tension, I don't have very good stamina over long periods of time. And in a way, it puts a lid on how good my technique will ever be, and it's been a hard truth to face over the years, but instead I finally found the confidence to make my music, my own music in my own way, the most me way I can. And similarly with singing, I used to think I had a very low voice with an ease to sing very high in falsetto with a big gap in the middle, which meant I found it very hard to sing other people's music. So I finally started writing my own songs and using the range I have innately. It's different to the contemporary classical music I'd learned to write at university. And that was a brave thing for me, to let go of that training and try this slightly less safe route to composing or songwriting. But finally, perhaps something I was made for, something I'm good at, something I love, something in theory I could make money from one day, and something subjectively the world needs. Songs. I mean, there does seem to be a thriving market for songs. I know from having done a fair few courses of therapy over my life that so much of what we do and how well we consider ourselves to be doing comes down to that inner voice that gives us the go-ahead to keep pushing forward in times of difficulty. And if you've not had that proactive voice outside your head from an early age, perhaps you'll struggle to listen to or believe the kinder inner voice 
and so much of what we consider success to be is out of our control anyway. For example, the look of timeliness. Only now, in this decade, can I make and record and distribute my own songs thanks to the internet and make a podcast. I wouldn't have known where to start when I was 18. And I'm so lucky to have an amazing support network of friends and family that I've now known for over a decade. You know, some of these friends, such old friends, they're not old, you know what I mean? (laughs) They're as old as me. And I mentioned already the bittersweet and rather poignant truth that by making a choice, you automatically eradicate the possibility of other choices. For example, when I quit gymnastics, it was the first major life decision I had to make. I had to quit in order to embrace music as part of my new future. And one of the things I'm most proud of after all these years is learning to make an arbitrary decision, (laughs) because you'll find out pretty quickly if you made the right choice or not. And if it's not right, you can change your choice. Flexibility is key. That much I learned from my cognitive behavioural therapy. And I would actually like to talk about that in another episode, but uh, I feel like there's plenty to discuss that warrants its own space and time to do that. But after a very long train of thought today, perhaps time for a conclusion. What was I made for? I guess by casting the net wider under the career umbrella musician, I've found a space where I can do what I love, what I'm good at, what I can make money from, and subjectively at least, what the world needs, judging from some of the incredibly kind feedback I've got in response to my music. And maybe I'm naturally inclined to find music easy, but it's my choices and actions, each individual choice and action at a time, that's created the life I'm living, and I'm proud of this series of choices, and can forgive myself now for some of my less good choices. You know, deep down, only we can listen to ourselves to know what choice to make. Ultimately, for me, it's a musician's life. I know that the point of me right now is to create, refine, and share my experience through music and song, as it's one of the things that's given me such profound joy and sense of life. And perhaps after I've shared the backlog of songs and compositions I have in various states of completion with the world, I might take some time to explore another vocation. Of course, you can totally do more than one thing in life. And I'm very much looking forward to a time when I've cleared that backlog of music I need to release and explore wildly different avenues that I have not yet even contemplated. And hopefully I'll realise I was made for those other things too. For all my multifaceted career so far, I do feel like my working life and even childhood have been pretty monothematic. I've never really complained as I feel lucky to have struck upon something so young that I'm both good at and enjoy, and I've been able to sustain solid financial subsistence, at least, for most of my working life, without having to depend on the non-existent financial support of the world. This drive to survive has definitely been key in forging the choices I've made, until I knew of the existence of this beautiful concept of ikigai. I think I used to think of it as becoming the most you version of you, and becoming is the key word here, because I'm a totally different person to who I was at 30, or 18, or 12. I honestly wonder who of us ever finds that perfect synthesis And it's life's work. Even my most talented friends in dance, theatre, directing, fashion, makeup, etc. For all their successes, every single one of them has had trials and tribulations. And of course, the higher you reach, the further you might fall. 
But the key seems to be resilience, and I'm incredibly grateful to have inherited an innate sense of resilience and consistency that means I've constructed this support system of friends and colleagues, and despite all the setbacks, I'm still hanging on in there, (laughs) in the realm of music. I mentioned already, during my lowest point, I was fortunate enough to receive therapy on the NHS, and doing my therapy homework one day, I had a revelation, and as though it were always so simple, I had this clarity at my lowest ebb. When I had nothing to lose, I could see the point behind all of these stresses and anxieties. Where I couldn't see the wood for the trees, it was staring me in the face. Make music, share music, move people. And I carry that with me now like a mantra to help focus me. And this podcast feels like part of that process, which is probably why I'm enjoying it so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode too. Don't forget to subscribe, follow and review this podcast. And if you like it, share it with your friends or on social media. You can find me on all social platforms by searching at Jordan Hunt Music. And you can listen to my music on all good streaming services. Deep Down uses bits of my music nabbed from my songs Ocean Floor and Peter. Check out the show notes on jordan-hunt.com for exclusive tidbits from this podcast. I'd really love to hear from you via DM or email via my website if any of these experiences resonated with you and if you have questions, suggestions or requests for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>